Greetings and salutations, nerds. This is Praying for Superpower. A show about the deeper meanings, messages, and intricacies hidden within nerd culture. I'm Peter Jordan. And I'm Trevor Sharon. And today we're talking about another Sanderson thing, so forgive us for our Sanderson fandom. We're talking about defiance, though. Are you, are you defying me by not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Skyward. Skyward. The surprise novel. No one was expecting it. That he wrote two of before we got the next Wax and Wayne book. Here's why I like it is because I grew up really loving the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, and especially 80s sci-fi novels. Uh, the ones that you could get for 25 cents and were just so terribly good. Mm. Uh, like space va vampires is like a good example of like it's awful but it's so good uh, and and for me Skyward feels like a really well polished well operating classic sci-fi novel yeah yeah I agree it it feels um, he did what Orson Scott Card did which was uh, make me look at an alien world through the eyes of a normal person mm. uh, that was uh, surprising. Like, you very quickly... Like, he mentions eating rats so many times in the first few chapters that by the time she starts eating rats in a cave on the surface of an alien planet, it's like, yeah, that seems pretty normal for her character. Right. That's this. It's not weird. the way she is. Yeah, and it just... It works really well, and he... Yeah. If you have not read Skyward, we would suggest that you pause this video, go spend the next week reading it, depending on how slow of a reader you are, and come back. Uh, we are going to be talking about some spoilers, uh, and also it's just, it's a really good book to read. And obviously Sanderson thinks the same thing because, like I said, he's put everything else on pause so that mm -hmm. he can write the second book, which was written before anything else. And we all know Sanderson, he specifically does not write the same series back to back. He tries to break it up, but I think this was so ingrained in him. It was like sand to Anakin Skywalker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Quick aside to another space, you know, world, space universe, Star Wars. How brilliant of Obi-Wan to go and live on a planet covered in sand, knowing how much Anakin hated sand. And like, if sand got into Darth Vader's outfit, that would chafe like crazy. <laughs> Mess up his metal circuits and stuff. Yep. Back to Skyward. <laughs> I think the reason he wrote two books in two years when he normally hops around is because he wrote this in his head years ago. Because mm -hmm. we, we went to a, the book signing for this, and what he talked about was that he'd been wanting to write a Boy and His Dragon book for years, but he couldn't do it... He said without, he, it, it never sounded right, and it often sounded just like every other A Boy and His Dragon books. Yeah. So he made it into A Girl and Her Starship, which was a brilliant move on his, uh, just on his side. And he probably, my guess is, has a lot of sci-fi in his head, but he's mostly a fantasy writer. So all of his sci-fi just came out in one go. And I do think that some of his work on the Skyward projects 
is preparing him for the third trilogy of Mistborn, which is supposed to be further ahead in the Cosmere than any other book. Yeah, I, I think originally the third was supposed to be a space odyssey. But what I've seen, and this might not be right, but what I've seen on uh, the 17th Shard website is that the third series is now going to be like our modern day, maybe a bit in the future from now, giving us like, we've made it into space, but we haven't made it that far. And then the fourth trilogy is gonna be a space odyssey. Which is gonna be so cool. Yeah. One thing that we really wanna cover in this episode is the concept of defiance. And in order to do that, we have uh, been able to get a hold of uh, our friend, uh, Dr. Professor Hagendaz. Uh, who uh, wanted to do a brief therapy session with a young adult novel hero. Welcome to Counseling. Uh, my name is Dr. Professor Hagendaz. Uh, you are uh, Tarragon? Theragon. Aragon? Theragon? Aragon? Theragon. It's uh, Theramen. T-H. Theragon. Theragon. There it is. Like there it is and there it's gone. Oh, got it. That's how I remember it. it. Um, God, <laughs> you seem quite emotional. That's not, it's unusual for you. My mother is dead. Yes, you mentioned that several no. weeks ago. No, the other mother. The <laughs> one that, she wasn't my real mother. I didn't like her at first, and then I grew to like her. Now she's dead. She was like a mother to me. Theragon, you've experienced quite a lot of death and loss in the past three weeks. Well, I'm beginning to think that I'm the main character in a fantasy novel. It just makes too much sense. You know, why else would all this be happening to me unless I was... And in such a short amount of time. Destined. Yes. A dark power pursuing you. This magic ring that speaks to me with a British accent. Part of a, a great... I was followed by singing animals on my drive here. Oh, oh yes, that's very telling. My hair's starting to turn blue. I have to dye it brown. That's an irregular color for sure. Yes. It also uh, appears that the uh, civilization that you've grown up in has all of a sudden become evil and corrupt. It, they have, and people have flocked to my leadership, although I haven't done anything to deserve their support. Mm. They've put me at their head. And it seems as if, from what you've told me, you are exceptional at everything that you attempt. Yes, but I can't make Muldrain understand that we should be together. That's our time, isn't it? It is our time. Unfortunately, we'll have to come back to all of this uh, at a later date, um, perhaps in two books. Thank you, Doctor, Professor. Hagendas. Hagendas. So that was Doctor Hagendas. We're grateful for his presence on this show, uh, and the patient, the the client. Yeah, the client's willingness to be filmed. Yep, uh, is definitely very rare. Very rare. Definitely. Yeah. It's actually usually very hard to film well, a yeah. novel character. Very. And uh, very unethical to film a counseling session, uh, too. But we won't hold that against Dr. Professor Hagendas. Yeah. 
who uh, is not the guy that owns Hagen Dazs ice cream. That's no, his brother. His brother. Mm-hmm. So younger too. Really, I mean, there's some family systems work that he has to do. Yeah, Anyways. he has a counselor. Yeah. My therapist has therapists. Always grateful for our partners, which brings us to thank you to our partner, Petri's Family Games, our local game store that sponsors this show. Uh, We are grateful for local stores in general and specifically a game store that is built around community and nerdiness. If you are in Colorado Springs, we highly recommend you check them out. Corner of Union and Briargate. Back to Defiant. So... Spencer. Spencer. She's absolutely in a young adult novel. And yep. Dr. Professor Hagenaz pointed out a lot of the aspects of young adult novels with defiance. And we see this with Spencer, where she grows up in a society of defiance. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is she has been branded as someone not to be trusted, which has only served to make her more defiant. And she wants to be defiant against the people who have ridiculed her father and have been so terrible uh, in in all of these all of these ways to her family. But I don't want to spoil the ending of the book. It's only been out for a year. I don't feel like we can. The way it ends, though, for those of you that have read it. And the ending for me, I suspected it for most of the book, but couldn't put my finger on how it was going to happen. Right. And yeah. so it wasn't like an M. Night Shyamalan when he was good twist. It was uh, It was like, I'm seeing it, I'm seeing it, I'm seeing Oh, that's right. how it happened. Which is how Brandon has to write because he does that in every book. Yeah. And so you know to look for it if you're a reader of Brandon Sanderson. You're like, all right, what's the twist going to be this time? What's, what's going to throw me off? And so you know it's coming, and you pick up on all the signs. He just hit it well enough that I didn't know exactly what it was going to be by the end of it. Well, and Peter, you have this interesting idea of the concept of defiance being played out in our world as well. Yeah, uh, it's really interesting. uh, And this is something I've I've also seen in the Mistborn trilogy with um, Ellen Venture's speech he gives uh, the night the the Lord Ruler, spoiler, dies. We've totally given up on keeping spoilers. Yeah, we really. Uh, sorry. You're probably only watching this if you're a big fan of the Cosmere. And I already read it. And if not, sorry. Um, so, uh, yeah, basically it's the idea that uh, a country born in blood will either run itself out or bathe in blood its whole life. Uh, the United States of America was 13 colonies. It broke away from England. There was a massive war. We created our own nation. This nation has been at war basically since its existence. We've had 80 years of peace, I think, cumulatively. No, no, I think we've had seven. Seven? Something. A short amount of time. Yeah. Less, like less than, like less than 12% of our, of our time. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is the reason we as a culture are so defiant of uh, leadership and especially people our age, you know, from like late teens to, to 30s is because we were raised to act and behave a certain way and we're, we've disagreed with that and we have foundations to disagree, to be defiant. And we've found that everyone hates that we're being defiant. How dare you not work a nine to five job? How dare you not have kids and get married? How dare you, you know, go travel through Europe for two or three years instead of just following the college route? And, you know, why, why do you want to work when you could just have kids? You know, like, 
why why don't you just be a stay-at-home mom you don't need a degree like uh and this just this sense of defiance is looked down upon simply because it's defiance and i think that's probably true in every culture well yeah because i just know i know this culture you can't have a society that is built off of dissidents you know you you because that's just not how it works. You have to have some amount of cohesion. Mm. And I was having a conversation recently with a, a friend of ours, and we were talking about in Star Wars, it kind of seems like everybody's a part of the rebellion, except for the Empire. And that doesn't actually make sense because in order for the Empire to hold power, it can't just be strength alone. There has to be some sort of buy-in from the majority that says, yeah, the Empire is for our benefit. And we don't see that, and that's a big flaw in the Star Wars universe because you can't have a society where the majority is against the society. There is something to be said about how the rebels cannot be the majority or the power holders because then that becomes the norm, that becomes the baseline, and anybody who was on the other side is now the minority, the marginalized group. And that's what happens in Skyward is the baseline of the whole human community on this planet is to be defiant. Let's say, be defiant. Like, live even when we're being hunted. Fight like we need to fight to survive. And so when everyone is raised to be defiant, there's only two ways to be defiant left. And we see that in Spensa and in another character whose name is like seven syllables and starts with a K. She, yeah, she is like, I'm not going to fight. Like, I'm only becoming a pilot. And as soon as I'm not a pilot, my plan is to basically be a a peacekeeper whose goal is to not be defiant. She's being defiant by not being defiant. And Spence is being defiant by being way more defiant than the defiant people. Which is really, if we look at it from a different perspective and change the words around just a little bit, Spensa is being more of a um, patriot than anyone around her. And the other girl is actually being defiant by saying the way that we've been doing things is wrong and it doesn't make any sense anymore. And I think this speaks to something that we see in our own lives as well, is it's really easy to be caught up in something that worked at one point and was necessary for survival at one point in our lives. And so if you look at, um, just reflect on your own life of a behavior that you took on that was really important to have for survival or for success at that time in your life. And in a healthy process of growth, a lot of those behaviors go away because we're not in that situation anymore. Mm -hmm. If you think about our fight, flight, freeze reflex, when we recognize a threat, our bodies go into flight, flight, freeze, and our adrenaline is pumping, our hearts are pumping, our blood changes into the directions that we need it to go and takes it away from the um, non-necessary organs. If we live in that stage Mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. an extended amount of time it does serious damage to our bodies and we can't stop being that way right yeah and it was important for that time we needed it for survival i've actually i've talked to my therapist about this um and i i i'm a very open person and so just from a personal standpoint for me uh i basically am a, a 
I was a peacekeeper growing up. Both my brothers had their own issues. They're older, bigger, stronger than me. And so I had to mediate and uh, try to be uh, small and not ever cause strife because I wanted it to be calm and peaceful. And uh, I'm now at a point in life where uh, I still don't like conflict, but I'm, I'm learning to have small, healthy conflict. Um, because basically I grew up thinking conflict was only bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so now, basically, this learned uh, ability to avoid conflict is now actually uh, could be leading to problems in my marriage and parenting uh, and friendships because conflict is an important part of life. And it was really useful as a kid. And now uh, I, I want to say thank you to that part of me. Yeah. But I, I don't need your help anymore. And it's important for us to be able to reflect on this in our lives and in our societies to have self-awareness on this was a healthy behavior at one time. Is it still? And I think some of the healthiest people are the most reflective. And if we look at, you know, the classic, like if I tell you that I just climbed a mountain to find some wise sage, you're expecting that wise sage to say things that don't make any sense and to be spending most of his time in silence. Right. He'll, he'll be floating two feet off the ground, right. legs crossed, hands folded like this. And he's saying, power comes from inner peace and knowing oneself. For the flower will only bloom when the moonlight reflects. In the pond of tranquility. Ah, yes. (laughs) But I think it it does speak to this concept that we really honor and understand the value of Mm self-reflection. And in if we go into a more counseling framework with this idea of young adult novels, uh, like was alluded to with uh, Dr. Professor Hagendas, Mr. Dr. Professor, Mr. Dr. Professor Hagendas, is that in young adulthood. There is a transition from being part of the group to developing independence and self-awareness is beginning to grow during that season of our growth development. And we see that in young adult novels is as they start to question the world around them and as they begin to see themselves in a different way and to reflect on what they believe themselves rather than what they've been told to believe we see this conflict we see this you know the story begins at that point Uh, and then as the character grows to be more independent and more um, willing to be themselves in the midst of a culture that says be something that we want you to be we see the story conclude with them being able to inspire the people around them to be independent as well. I think that was great. I don't feel like I have to add anything to that. (laughs) Excellent. We probably lost somebody at some point. But the good thing is nobody makes it to the end of our videos anyways. So (laughs) we'll catch you next time. (laughs) 